Welcome to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hey friends, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Waves of Change podcast. So happy that you're with us today. Today I have a wonderful interview for you all. Today I'm speaking with Hillary Cohen and Sam Liu, who are the founders of Everyday Action. You know, I love when nonprofits not only find the solution for one problem, but they solve the issue, the, they find the solution um, for several problems. And that is exactly what Hillary and Sam are doing with Everyday Action. They are in the Los Angeles area, eliminating food waste, not only from film and TV productions, but they've also now expanded into events and festivals in the Los Angeles area. And what they're doing is they're taking this excess food that is just sitting on sets or and otherwise would be discarded. So they're solving one problem, which is food waste, and they are bringing that food to the unhoused and vulnerable population of Los Angeles. So they are also feeding the hungry while addressing food waste. And not only that, they found another issue to solve, which is that they employ background actors and PAs who are, you know, need some extra work. So I just love that um, Sam and Hillary are, have thought of this idea when you hear my interview with them and I think you know one of them actually says this but this is a labor of love for them and you can tell they both you know wear their hearts on their sleeves and they're so passionate about this and I think that is so important in the nonprofit world is to really care about the work that you're doing and you can absolutely tell while speaking to Hillary and Sam that they do I love the conversations that we had and that you'll hear us speak about about seeing these people who are constantly being walked by, who are on the streets, remembering that they are human beings that need empathy and that they should be treated like human beings. Anything from, from just a simple smile to a hello, you'll hear Hillary and Sam talk about conversations that they've had with people while delivering food and how a hot meal can mean so much to someone who is in that situation. Another thing that I want to call out from my conversation with Hillary and Sam, they said it a couple of times, and you have heard me, dear listeners, my faithful listeners, say it over and over again. You know, the way that I say it is always action over apathy. It's really easy to be apathetic, um, but it's not useful. So we need to, when we are feeling discouraged, we need to just turn it around into action. And that is exactly what Hillary and Sam did. They saw a problem and they addressed it. Um, And as you'll hear in our conversation, it's what they encourage for all of you. And it doesn't mean necessarily starting a nonprofit organization, but every day that we wake up to ask ourselves, you know, what can we do for others? Maybe that means giving your takeout container to the first person that you see on the street. Maybe it means stopping and asking someone 
how they're doing their life story when you see them on the street. Um, maybe it means volunteering in a food bank, volunteering for a nonprofit. Um, but I love that we all have different opportunities to use our skills, to use the time that we are given to help um, and really be the change that we want to see in the world. So with that, I will let you get to my conversation with Hillary and Sam from Everyday Action. So today we have Hillary Cohen and Sam Liu from Everyday Action. Everyday Action safely, swiftly, and legally rescues the leftover gourmet catered meals from TV and film sets and delivers them to those in need, local, unhoused, and under-resourced communities of Los Angeles. Hillary and Sam, welcome. Hi. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Of course. So I like to start every podcast by just asking you all what the origin story is of how Everyday Action came to be. Awesome. So um, Sam and I have been assistant directors in the entertainment business for over 10 years. Um, and we both have spent our entire career on a film set, uh, watching a lot happen and working 24-7 and both never really having a time to stop. Um, and then COVID gave us you know, all that stop. And in COVID, I started um, aggressively sewing face masks, which is an entirely another story for a whole other time. <laughs> um, but during that time, um, you know, I was home, I was lonely. Um, I was really sewing for like 12 hour days. Um, and I was like angrily watching TV, just getting more and more frustrated and behind social media and just felt like people were turning into these versions of themselves that they wouldn't normally be. Um, and I just thought like, well, what if instead of myself like responding, I put my phone down and just like went and helped someone until I wasn't angry anymore. And then maybe we went post about it. And then it was kind of this overwhelming idea of like, well, what if everyone did that? Like, what if every time we all got really frustrated or, you know, mad at someone behind a message board, we didn't respond. We just put that down and put that energy forward. And whether that would be, you know, taking out your neighbor's trash or buying someone on the street a coffee that you didn't see or holding a fundraiser, like whatever that is, big or small every day, do something for someone else. Um, you know, and then I started thinking, okay, well, like what would I do every day for someone else? Um, and uh, Sam and I both had seen a lot of food waste um, on a lot of sets. And we had been working together for a few years and, you know, in a very COVID way from a distant way, um, we had this meeting and just talked about it, you know, like food waste on set and how we could maybe start to save it and what that would look like. And I kind of always had this idea from the very beginning of my uh, very first day on a union set. It came from um, the independent world where like your mom made a tuna sandwich for lunch and that was crafty. So to show up to, you know, private practice and there was like, salmon and steak and lobster and all this just delicious catered food 24 seven was a, like a shocking change. Um, and I remember being there at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, watching every trailer drive by and they just did nothing past all the encampments they drove past. And then like at lunch, I was like, this is going to be so great. We're going to get all these people the leftovers. Like they're not going to be hungry today. And it was like, like nails on a chalkboard, just like scrape them into the trash. Hmm. And it was just devastating, you know, and I said, why are you doing this? Like, why can't we give it to the person right there that's starving? And, you know, Sam and I were always told, oh, well, it, we'll get sued. It's just easier to throw it out. Like, we, we got to move on. And Sam and I were in that 
that world, that bubble. So we, we kept doing that, but COVID really gave us a stop and the time to think about how we could maybe solve that problem. Um, there's also a whole other part of a film set about production assistants and background artists that, um, are very underpaid on the set. So Sam and I thought of the system of like, what if the PAs and background artists, um, picked up the food and we reallocated to those in need and Sam and I in like hazmat suits with a cooler that <laughs> can fit in, um, went out and started everyday action. And since then it's really just taken off. I love that. It's something that we talk about on the podcast a lot is like action over apathy, which is exactly what you're describing. And like, instead of sitting home and feeling bad about the state of the world, like going out and doing something as simple as taking out a neighbor's trash or starting a nonprofit organization, which is what you did. Um, Can you describe to listeners like what food reallocation looks like? I know you were describing the limitations around like you know, not being able to just hand it off because of, um, like, like being sued or all of that. Um, like what were those like logistics of, of what those first days looked like for you all? The first, our first food run was, uh, with a production that was one of the first back in production, uh, after the lockdown for COVID. So they were having just a short, I think like a two day reshoot, and uh, we'd like written all the handbook and operations manual, but we had to go and do it ourselves to make sure we understood how it was going to work practically. So uh, we actually did the run ourselves. And uh, the first day was just real chaos for the poor shoot. <laughs> like their COVID tests didn't come in. So they called us really panicked. And when that normally would have been our job to deal with, we mm-hmm. didn't have to. And it was really nice. We just showed up and picked up the food. Uh, and then we went to the local, you know, any sort of tent or sort of small encampment that we saw around the surrounding area. We just walked up and said, hi, would you like some free food? Um, I always tell our drivers, and it's something that we did from the beginning, too, and made a point to. We always uh, ask them their name and introduce ourselves because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure how many people have walked by them that day and not even acknowledged their existence. So it's really important for us to make sure that our beneficiaries feel seen. And uh, we also always ask if we have their permission to take photos because we knew that was part of it too, to be able to post, but you know, it doesn't matter if they don't have social media, it's their image that's out there and we wanted to be respectful. So we uh, did it all ourselves. We were dressed in like sort of makeshift uh, PPP. <laughs> we had uh, those long disc gloves as gloves since there was such a shortage. Uh, we had like face masks that were made out of just pieces of plastic and some foam uh, or face shields. And then we had face masks and uh, we legitimately chased down our very first beneficiary. He, uh, the sweet man was, we were driving by this park and the sweet man was standing there, uh, sort of kind of slumped over his um, grocery cart. Mm -hmm. And we decided to stop and give him food. But I think maybe how we were dressed, we looked scary. (laughs) He was like, I don't know if I want to accept food. Sort of napping to like full on running from us. Um, and we almost stopped because it was very hot. It was like July. And uh, so it's probably like 80, 90 degrees and we're dressed like head to toe and like long pants and <laughs> jeans to it. Uh, we chased him down and he loved it. And then he, when he realized what was happening, we were able to give him several burgers. Um, 
And that's what we did our very first run. We just, we went ourselves and took it from encampment to encampment. And then it's sort of grown from there, right? And matured to uh, taking it to safe spaces for anytime there's a single driver, which we knew would be kind mm -hmm. of the case with COVID. You know, we were in each other's bubbles, so it helped, but we know not everyone would be. So from a practical standpoint, we decided um, community fridges were a great resource. So we partnered with uh, LA Community Fridges and shelters and any sort of food programs that any other nonprofit had. So that was uh, that was kind of like our pivot towards um, doing more with the food and really kind of distributing it. You know, we all know uh, having food insecurity is not always seen. It's a very unseen, you know, um, struggle. So you might have housing, but you, you struggle to eat. So we really wanted to kind of cover our bases and really spread the food out as much as we could. So. But that's what our first run looked like, us dressed all up in homemade PPP, chasing people down. Uh, but we had <laughs> an amazing time doing it. And we really learned so much of how it was going to work from a practical level. And it's really uh, rewarding and really so beneficial as a company that as the founders, we have done these runs ourselves. We just did it ourselves last night, too. We were are always willing to do it. So we're not, you know, we're not just sitting behind our computers and sort of scheduling and ordering people around. We absolutely do it ourselves and we love doing it. One yeah. key thing we learned on that first run was it was like our last, our last time of that, that two days was at like two o'clock in the morning and poor Sammy and I were like, it was a very long day and we drove all the way back down to the South Bay and, um, picked it up and, um, you know, we're going 10 by 10. We're like, we're, you know, we're mission people. Like we're going to do this. We're making change and we're going 10 by 10 and no one is awake. And then me and Sam are like, would you want to eat beach stroganoff at two o'clock in the morning? Like if someone <laughs> on your door, would you be like, yeah. Or would you be like, excuse me, I'm sleeping, you know? Right. So a lot about, um, just like what Sam said is, um, it's very human. It's in it. And those people may not have been seen or heard today. Um, and that for me personally, and I know also for Sam, like that, that time thing was just very of like, Oh, we need a different plan for after like nine o'clock because people are sleeping. So that was also another thing for expanding out for like after hour drops. Right. Which is probably something you don't initially think of, but I love that you all are like asking their name, making sure that they're not only being given a meal, but being seen, which is just so beautiful. I love that. Um, and being treated, you know, like, like anyone else, you know, and, right. not, you know, we really try to make sure they're treated as humans and, you know, without uh, discrimination or any sort of discretion. Yeah, it's not just a handout. You really want them to feel loved. So fast forwarding to today, I would love to know about the process. I mean, obviously you both have worked in the industry, but how um, productions connect with you or is it mostly you all connecting with them? And um, how many productions are you all working with? Well, it's kind of word of mouth. Um, really from the beginning, we started, um, again, we had that one shoot and then Good Trouble um, is a show that supported us from the very beginning, thanks to one of our board members, Troy and Belisario. Um, and we pick up from them every season. It's about a 10 month long season. Um, and we have delivered so much food to a network up there um, for this facility called Bridge to Home. Bridge to Home was our first. And then our second show was NCS Los Angeles, which Sam and I both worked on. 
Um, and they kind of brought us in. And once we had like two full-time shows, it was more like, oh, hey, I heard you're doing this or, oh, hey, I heard you're doing that. Also, our whole board is part of the industry. So we kind of, as a team in a grassroots effort, emailed everyone we knew, every AD, every producer, every actor, anyone we could really think of that was in the business and just said, hey, here's what we're doing. And we're kind of still doing that. But currently we pretty much service every large studio that's um, producing television or film in Los Angeles. Um, the writer's strike has obviously been a big impact on our pickups. We still pick up from commercials and uh, corporate events and grocery stores and such, but um, not as much film production. But when we're in full production, we can be up to 15 productions a day with our current funding. Our goal is to have every production in Los Angeles from Santa Clarita to San Pedro on a daily basis because the amount of food we see from just 15 sets is incredible. If we had every set in Los Angeles with proper funding, we could probably feed, you know, like 10 to 15,000 people a week. That's crazy. I feel like people kind of like learned about us, you know, word of mouth for us is, uh, it's really common for our industry. You know, our industry is not, there's not like this, there is like a, you know, their union rosters, right? But for the most part, unless things are incredibly busy, people are going to just ask other people if they know someone. So, you know, like my personal career as an AD was made through just word of mouth. Like someone knew that I was good and nice with them. And then they told someone else and it kind of snowballed from there. And I think that's exactly how it's worked for us. And, you know, we're, uh, we're only trying to expand. I love it too, because I imagine they'll get to a point where people are on set and you're like, oh, you guys are still throwing food away. Like, have you not heard about everyday action? Actually, um, one cool thing for, I don't know if Sam had this, but while we were on set, it's like random crew members that had been on other shows would be like, oh my gosh, you're those crew members who save the food. You know, it's like so many people in our business really want to save food and it's kind of been something that's been unsolved. So it's really fun to find people in the business who have the same passion, who then jump on board with everyday action. That's kind of how it's continued to grow. It's like people who are from our board or people who are in the business who just really have the same passion of helping others and feeding those in need. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Hilary, I know you just mentioned it, but obviously, you know, we're in the middle of, or hopefully towards the end of an actor's strike and um, there's not as much production and filming happening. Um, how has that affected operations? For you all um, it certainly affected our numbers but it hasn't affected us picking up food like we're not at a stop so we do pick up from one corporate office every day they do have a lot of waste on friday they had 20 full catering trays so that was in a massive it was almost 200 pounds of food um like massive amounts of food comes out of that office um, we also do pick up from one whole foods in culver city uh twice a week that puts out a lot of food um, additionally, commercials mainly are non-union, so those are still shooting, and we actually have a lot of food stylists that we work with, so we do pick up from commercials as well. Um, we also do really anywhere that um, has bulk food, so a food festival, um, again, a corporate office or event. Um, we recently started working with Wendy Parker events and Activision and picking up from their larger events. Um, and as Sam said, just last night, me and Sam spent the whole day at the Tender Fest in Beverly Hills, and then we reallocated um, probably the most we've ever reallocated, honestly, to date last night. It was pretty um, impressive uh, what we were able to accomplish with just three cars. <laughs> you know, that's something, too. I love to hear that you all are picking up from events because as someone who, you know, as my nine to five, I do fundraising events. You see so much food waste like at those events and they're happening all the time. I love that that 
is also um, that's being solved. So being that you all are experienced being um, in the industry, what benefits do productions have with using you all as opposed to maybe another similar nonprofit? Well, Sam and I both, um, there's a thing in production called a call sheet, and that is basically what guides the day. Um, I've spent over eight years making them, and Sam has spent her entire career running a set. So both of us know exactly how a set's run. If we get a call sheet from any production, commercial, film, I can tell you when your lunch is going to be, you know, where it's going to be serving, about what time it'll be finished. You know, we just speak production. Um, Sam and I also know that productions are very, very tight bubble, right? They don't want mm -hmm. anyone to come inside. They're very busy and they also don't have time to think about their quote unquote trash, even though I beg to differ that it's trash. But anyways, um, <laughs> you know, they don't have time for that. Um, and Sam and I are aware of that. You know, we can come in, a producer can be, I can be like, listen, just put me on your distro and give us the name of your, you know, a PA, a caterer, and we'll show up and be there. And, and Sam, I think a great thing we meant to talk about would be like who our reallocators are, which is also what kind of stands us apart. Absolutely. So for, you know, a huge benefit of using us is not only do we ourselves speak production, but we also use reallocators that speak production. Our, most of our, even most of our volunteers as well are in the industry, but our drivers that we are able to pay a stipend to and which was always our goal because we really had like a three-pronged approach, you know, fighting food waste, food insecurity, and also addressing wage disparity within our own industry. So we pay stipends to production assistants and background actors to drive our food. Um, it is just a program that we want, that we started from inception, that we really felt like was going to be sort of like a cyclical thing. You know, we really wanted to kind of break the system of, oh, it's, you know, it's uh, it's against the law. It's not against the law, by the way. Um, another benefit of using us because we did our research to make sure um, that it's not against the law, we also carry our own customized liability insurance, mm -hmm. uh, which was a huge, um, a huge advantage that I think really gave uh, the studios confidence in using us. So you can't actually pierce our corporate bail. So once you sign a donation agreement with us, then it signs the liability of the food and donation over to us. And you can't get to our donors because of our liability policy. So that's like even another added level on top totally. of it that we added. But a huge benefit to using us is just the fact that we speak production, we are safe, and we're also benefiting within our own community. And even our newest drop spots, we now get to give to the Entertainment Community Fund Housing, which houses those who are in the union, either SAG, uh, IOTSE, even I think the Guild, or just any union that, you know, that serves our, our entertainment industry, you can get in to that housing and then, you know, pay pay a much reduced like fee. And and it's beautiful. We've toured, uh, we've toured their newest place and uh, their other facility as well. And yeah, we just, we love that we're supporting within our own industry too. Yeah, I love we that. I didn't say, even know that was a thing. We always say we don't care about Leonardo DiCaprio on your set. We just want your mashed potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, and I imagine it's huge too that you are using like background actors for um, you know, your drivers and being able to pay them, especially during this time where they're, you know, most of them are not working because of the strike. So 
Um, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And as a second, you know, as a career second, second, you know, the background or who I personally get to set on the set for the scene and I work closest with them and the PAs and they are both the two most underpaid and who also get all the blame. Um, and I'm with them in that boat. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I always tell people like you guys are the, that I tell the PAs, like you guys are the backbone of this industry. You really are. You're the core. And uh, background actors, you know, they're a really key part of the scene. So to call them like extra isn't really fair because they're not extra. They are needed. I always describe to them that they're the glitter. Like you make the scene sparkle and really shine. You know, it, it, it's boring without like anything happening in the background, actually. So uh, they're, you know, they're two really like key positions on set that are, you know, some of the most underpaid and undervalued in a lot of ways. And not with us. Yeah. Yeah. Not with you. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Sam, I know you already spoke to this a little bit, but how do you all decide um, where to donate your food? So we try to give back within uh, the area that's affected by filming, because a lot of times we take up all of your parking and uh, we also take up, you know, like residence parkings, especially in downtown uh, they really don't like us there. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we we really want to, like, give back into that area, uh, if able. It just really depends. It depends on, like, uh, you know, the schedule for the day. So if I only have three drivers, but I have 10 sets to pick up from, then they kind of have to do, you know, several rounders. It really depends on, you know, what the day looks like. But for the most part, we really try to give back in the area. And just for, you know, food food safety it's so much easier if we have a place that's really close to wherever right. you're filming so then they get the food fresh as possible sometimes it's piping hot which is really fun to give <laughs> especially to our uh, unhoused community because I you know I always ask myself like when was the last time I actually had a hot meal right so it's really uh it's really important to us to be able to give back um, in the area that's being affected by filming so we do our best to do that but we also try to stay conscious of like a carbon footprint so if our driver has three spots and they maybe like spread it out or they go to like one main spot that's around the area I love that you all are conscious about that um are you still mostly going like tent to tent to people who are on the street or working mostly with like organizations where Mainly work with um, organizations. So um, Sam and I both, along with uh, Christina, who's one of our community outreach coordinators, Tiffany Herbert, who's one of our board members, Lainey, who's our president, really a bunch of people on our board um, who have all exhaustively, you know, looked around this 90 mile radius that we service, which is between Santa Clarita and San Pedro, and just search for really anyone serving the unhoused. Um, and then people find us and reach out. So slowly over the past three years, our map has grown and grown. We have our own little Google map that every time, you know, we have a new beneficiary, we add who their contact is, the hours they accept. Um, we've onboarded some really cool facilities in the last uh, few months. Um, Rock Air is one of my favorites. It's down in Long Beach. Um, they support so many youth and they, we were able to bring them a fridge though. It's a little wonky at the moment, but we were able to donate a fridge for a bit to them. Um, and the great part about their facility is we can go to them 24 seven. So, you know, we do pick up food, um, after hours. So that's actually one place that we really struggle, um, is where to give food between, you know, 9 PM and like six in the morning. So facilities that have a refrigerator that we can just go in their kitchen, really kind of seem like the call sheet, just give us your code, the key, the lockbox. We show up, we fill your fridge with food. You wake up in the morning and you can feed your whole, um, facility, 
for the whole day. So everyday action, what's cool is like when you donate to us, you're also donating to other nonprofits because right. we them reduce the cost of their feeding and we're supplying them usually with more, more, more nutritious and more, you know, a variety of food than they would rather, you know, they would get in another way, right? Like food pantry, food, no offense to food pantries that are doing amazing work. Often that food is canned or a sandwich or something that's not as this is literally gourmet food hot off of a film set. So the food we're able to provide them is just so much better quality. That's exactly actually was my next question, Hillary. So you keep hitting on all of the points I wanted to talk about. But yeah, there's a big conversation currently about like food deserts and people like of low income not having access to healthy foods typically. So um, is that, it sounds like that's something that you all are conscious of and you have that intent of like feeding people healthy like you said gourmet meals there's this one trip that sam and i were um in big bear uh like a year and a half ago um working on this project and um this woman we brought food from this really fancy film set they had like the most delicious food um and it was shrimp and she was living um in this cabin that this community was paying for with her dog and anyways Sam and I really became um, interested in her and just brought her food all week while we were there. Um, and I remember bringing her the shrimp and she was like, oh my gosh, lobster. I've never had lobster before. And just like, it was so, you know, she had never even seen shellfish, you know, it's like, so the food that we are able to bring someone, it's something that they, again, just don't have access to and allowing them to be able to go out to have dinner. You know, it's like, most people when they have a birthday or a celebration, they're going to go out to have a fancy meal or they're going to have a celebration where something's going to be a little bit fancier. You know, the unhoused don't have that option. And that is something that like helps the human soul. Um, and food is something that is a conversation of love. And mm -hmm. Sam and I are, you know, very much hard on our sleeve people. And that's ultimately what this is about is, you know, human beings. So I just feel that gourmet food is such a um, deeper conversation of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I would love to hear what your all's um favorite success stories are if you have a couple to share. Um, well, our first annual gala is definitely something that I'm really proud of. Um, we did it ourselves entirely as a board. We didn't hire, you know, any fundraising company or do anything. We really just kind of made it up. Um, it was really successful. We had a bunch of celebrities. We raised over $40,000. We had a casino, a silent auction. Um, and this whole effort has been very much like fake it till you make it, make it up and go. So um, like when it continues to work, it's like just so exciting. Like even I think to me, the most exciting thing was actually getting our 501c3 letter, which was in the very beginning, like in November, we started in July and got it in November. I I still get so emotional even thinking about it because we tried so hard. Sam and I were on the floor of an apartment, you know, writing letters and we tried so hard. And then, oh my God, this letter in the mail was like, we can fundraise. It was so, so, so exciting. So that to me is still like, I look at that letter on my like darkest days. <laughs> oh, I think people don't realize um, what a success that is. And like all the like, paperwork and everything that you have to go through to like get your official 501c3 letter so that is very exciting I love that Sam what about you do you have like a favorite success story uh I think I just have a I have a really favorite um emotional story to tell about like a food drop uh yeah. I 
so in, at the end of 2020, I actually, um, I lost my brother mm. and, uh, I was that like that summer was like really, really tough for me. I, um, I, you know, I just was sort of like limping along and, uh, had taken another job right after we finished our show and I was way burnt out and I should not have done it, but, uh, it was one of those projects that like you really shouldn't say no to career wise. So mm. uh, I'm glad I did it. But as soon as I finished, um, I ended up having to take runs because that summer it was still like, you know, vaccines had just come out, but people really weren't right. wanting to, you know, um, volunteer much during the summer. And I think they were just starting to travel again. So it was like, we suddenly were had like a crazy busy summer, but I had, a real juggling job of uh trying to find drivers and volunteers so uh a lot of the afternoon pickups I would just take myself and um I had like it was a very hot day and I had one meal left and it was like okay I'll just find someone on my way to the 101 I'm sure I'll see someone and I did I saw this sweet man who was um in like this last slice of shade uh, from this palm tree which as we know is not a lot of shade uh, <laughs> and so he was sitting there and I just had to pull over and I pulled over and luckily I had water in my car too just I would randomly kind of keep water in my car uh, because you just never know like we didn't really have funding for it but meh, it was one case so I uh, I just happened to have it because it was such a hot summer and I stopped and gave him a meal and uh, I just you know, I could tell like he just wanted to like someone to talk to and mm. um, you know, he apologized like he didn't have a mask and I was like, Well, we actually when we first started we were giving out masks along with our meals. So uh I was like, I actually have some masks, you can have masks, no problem. And um I I just I, you know, I asked him a little bit about his story and he told me uh that his uh you know, his sister had died and it's why he was on the street it just kind of broke him and he was like you know and I was like man I know like I just lost my brother and he was like but look at what you've like done with your grief this is so beautiful and so positive and I was just like oh I never even I hadn't even thought of it that way it was just like we were going and so busy and I just you know I hadn't really like taken a moment to think about you know kind of more of the why at that moment so right. Um, him telling me that was so it just really kind of like um, opened something else up that I hadn't really like taken the time to be gentle with myself over and uh, he told me he was like you know what uh, a lot of days I wake up and I like don't want to live anymore and he's like every time I feel that way someone like you comes along and I can live again and you know it was just it was pasta it was just pasta with meat sauce that's all and it would have gone in the crash so we always tell people especially when they're like we don't have much left over and I'm like it doesn't matter like you don't know every meal could be someone's life and like I know what it's like to feel like him and feel hopeless and you know be really destroyed by a big loss yeah so um you know and I I've had family that's been on the street before and I know they're alive because of people who are kind and uh yeah you just never know like that that was a success he he lived that day yeah there's also one more thing I'd like to say is an success is from our board meeting um our our vice president Barrett Foa um 
basically convinced him to be part of this project um though he's like the most supportive human ever but he always laughs he's like boy this is way much more work than i ever thought <laughs> um and we just hosted our fundraiser with him and he, like literally just the best person um and at our board meeting like a few months ago you know he stopped the meeting and just told a story about how he had a bunch of food and was driving home and pulled over and sat down and talked to that person for a half hour and mm -hmm. it's like I would never have done that prior to working with this organization and you've changed my life and ultimately that's what Sam and I want to do is inspire people so that um was just a really beautiful moment for me and having someone that's worked with Sam and I on this journey ultimately um give back that way yeah and maybe even for listeners like just taking a different perspective of you know stopping and recognizing that the people that you see on the street which is definitely increased since COVID right um are real humans with real stories and um you know stopping and sharing what you have with them I think it's really beautiful what you all are doing yeah. um I would love to know what you're excited about when you think about the future of everyday action Oh, so, so, so much. Do you have 10 hours? <laughs> um, you know, we envision a world or a day where we have a food truck um, and we can have all of our reallocators. Ideally, the food truck would probably be downtown. And so anyone who's probably within like 15 miles would come to the food truck and then we could open the food and we could make it more gourmet. We could add a little stuff to it. We could take from different shows and put together different meals and then just drive down Skid Row and pass out free food all day from our food truck. Um, we definitely see a facility um, in our future. Um, we also do this big community cooking event where we feed as many people as we can. In the past three years, that's been out of my house. Um, we've oh, had wow. a thousand people last year with like air fryers and toaster ovens and a refrigerator truck in my driveway that broke the fuse every five minutes. So oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, we're trying to get a community fridge or a community kitchen open or donated this year, but um uh, certainly in the future, we'd love a facility that has, you know, a little kitchen space, a big storage space and a big refrigerator space, because we do have times where we get like massive amounts of food or massive amounts of things. Um, and if we could just pause for a minute, put it in storage and then shift it instead of having like 30 seconds to figure it out, it would just help, right. you know, us a little bit, um, on the operation side. And then, you know, many more vehicles. Currently we have one van. We call her Lady Row because Sam and I actually on our very first run um ran out of food um and weren't able to feed this whole encampment. And it's a whole emotional story I'm not going to get into. But we held each other's hand and said, um, not today, but maybe tomorrow. And that's kind of always been our motto when, you know, times get tough and everyday action doesn't have everything, you know, because nonprofits never have enough time, money or resources. Um, it's not today, maybe tomorrow. So our van's called Lady Row after tomorrow. Um, and she was donated to us um, by the transportation department of Vincennes, Los Angeles, helped us get it with studio motion pictures vehicles um but we only have one van so we definitely need um several vans and probably a refrigerator truck um and funding severely we need funding you know um we've um really um it's a grassroots effort this is our biggest year of fundraising yet and it's still under two hundred thousand dollars um if we had a million dollars a year i really do think that we would change um the conversation in food waste in los angeles you know with little funding that we have we're currently feeding around 60,000 a year. This year it'll be around 40 because of the strike. Um, 
but certainly when the strikes back, we will be, you know, back up to our, our full number. Um, and really it just needs support. Um, but no, we see a world where every set in Los Angeles is using everyday action where every restaurant, LAUSD concerts, festivals, anywhere that has bulk food. There's no reason why people in the United States should be hungry. It's just a matter of logistics. Um, so in Los Angeles, Sam and I are really that logistics. So with proper funding, we just see this world where food isn't thrown out and people aren't hungry. And it just is silly to me that people in Los Angeles are hungry because it just, we have so much food. Yeah. Well, Hillary, keep leading into my next question. So <laughs> Um, my next question is if you could let listeners know what they could do to help and where they can find you. Well, definitely. Um, we need donations. Um, we also need sponsors for our upcoming gala, um, which is in April. Um, so if anyone out there is interested in sponsoring and those of companies that are interested in sponsoring galas, we certainly are looking um, for sponsors um, at like the $25,000 level. Um, we also really need, um, internal help. So even if you're not in Los Angeles, um, there's so much that goes into running a nonprofit, social media, email marketing, um, campaigns, email lists there it's endless. So if you have any skill, because Sam and I always say we're like broken millennials, not very good at the digital world. <laughs> so if that's your skill set. Like, please come on over, um, you know, give us a follow on Instagram, check out our website. And if it sounds like something you want to do, please come and volunteer, Sammy Lou coordinates all of our coordinators and sends out a beautiful email every Friday that um, if you don't subscribe to, I really suggest checking it out. <laughs> I love it. Well, we always end every interview with some fun rapid fire questions. Um, and this is the first time I'm going to do it with two people. So this will be fun. <laughs> um, so I'll ask you both the question. Um, so your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible. Um, my husband and I own a homestead in Canada. I can't tell you the specific location, but it's near Vancouver Island. <laughs> um, and it's like sort of near Campbell River. Um, and you can only access it by boat. Um, and it's cool. two hours away from any form of civilization. Um, we have very few neighbors and there's like whales and bears. And um, I definitely uh, would love to live there all the time. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Sam, what about you? Uh, I think my favorite place in the world I've been, uh, I will have to say it's from just a visual perspective, it's definitely Banff National Park in Canada, because mm -hmm. it's gorgeous. Uh, the Valley of Ten Peaks is ridiculous. Uh, many thanks to my good friend Joe, who took me there years ago. Uh, but I think from just a practical standpoint of like my real heart, it would definitely be my, um, my uncle's house in uh, Vietnam, my oldest uncle there. I just... I had my first trip there, uh, I think four or five years ago, and it was just the most magical place ever because my family there is so awesome and incredible. Um, my family here is great too, but it was just <laughs> really beautiful to get to meet, you know, so many cousins that I'd always like grown up, but not meeting. And, you know, if you've ever had Vietnamese street food, then you'll understand that I've missed it every day since I've been gone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, what what TV show are you currently watching? Well, my husband and I always say because we work in TV, though I do like good TV, we love crap television. <laughs> um, and we really love Love is Blind. So we've already binged all of the American one, obviously, the moment it was available. So currently we're watching Love is Blind Tokyo or Japan, and we're really loving that. <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. Sam, what about you? Uh, I just finished. I just finished watching the season finale of uh, the Changeling. It's on Apple TV. Uh, it's like kind of like a dark fairy tale. It's really really good. <laughs> Same. Um, what is the last book that you read? So I'm dyslexic, so um, I really don't read. Um, but I'm trying to learn. Um, everyone wants to say like to read books on tape, which also aren't very good for me. But I'm trying to learn Spanish. So I'll say the last thing I read was um a book on trying to read Spanish. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Good for you. What about you? Sam? I'm kind of rereading a book uh because I'm working on a project with a friend for it. Uh, but it's it's a book called uh, You Can Call Me Madam. It's about the first madam in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, because oh, Hot Springs, uh, I'm actually from Arkansas, and uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas used to be kind of like the Vegas of the South. So in like the 20s, yeah, the gangsters would all like go there, but not, it was like, neutral, it was like no man's land. So because of the natural springs there, they felt it was healing. So no one like supposedly hurt each other there. And uh, this lady was like, the she ran one of the biggest like, houses there and she was like a six foot tall just real badass lady I really love her <laughs> I've uh, never heard of that her. before yeah. of Arkansas yeah. wow and <laughs> yeah. I might have to read that book just yeah. to learn more <laughs> um one fun fact about you hmm I need a minute Sammy oh I have one. Oh yeah um I like to fish. I'm a really good fisherwoman and I recently have become obsessed with um, fishing and this summer I caught a 31 pound wild salmon which has like a whole new name called a tie um, and I just can't wait to go back and keep fishing. Oh cool. Uh, I am a secret quiet like fixer upper so I can I love like figuring things out like my ceiling fan above me I actually installed that myself uh blindly I do like small car repairs and uh I have actually changed more flat tires for men than women in my lifetime by it. the way that is awesome that's an awesome <laughs> skill and no one has changed my flat tire for me unless I just <laughs> there you go. like it I have legitimately changed it in a dress and heels uh while Very a impressive. gaggle of men stood by and watched <laughs> very impressive I imagine you can save a lot of money that way being handy I am not I really so. like the puzzle of it I like figuring things out like I I broke my door handle in my car and I replaced it a few weeks ago and the first bit I was like uh oh I did something wrong but I like sort of like dismantling and then re-putting things back together it's thanks to my dad it's his part of his brain that I inherited <laughs> right yeah it's like a whole different part of your brain that's yeah. something I've always been jealous of Sam we always talked about that and she's like you don't know how to change your oil I was like yeah my dad told me to call Jiffy Lube right <laughs> that's what I do <laughs> you can actually do it and it's like uh, amazing so impressive um and then the last one is your favorite quote uh my favorite quote is I have two um it is what it is and the other one is from my dad, which is people are a constant disappointment, which does sound very depressing, but to me, it has really helped, um, like align my expectations when people are disappointing because unfortunately people are a constant disappointment. So if you approach it from that way, I, I don't find it a negative way. It was really just managing your expectations and it is what it is really helps me out because so many times 
man, as a type A person, I wish I could control every minute of my life, but that is just not possible. So sometimes it just is what it is. And that is a-okay. Love it. Um, I mean, I know that it's a very, uh, it's a very like, uh, kind of like try trope sort of quote, but I really, uh, I really do like the don't sweat the small stuff um, quote because I do sweat the small stuff a lot and <laughs> it's a really good reminder especially when things just aren't perfect you know especially for what we do like we will set up all the details and then it all go crazy at the last minute and you just have to like not sweat it and just pivot and be fluid you know I feel like both those quotes could be so handy probably in the work that you both do it is what it is and don't sweat the small stuff yeah, Sam and I, um, as ADs, we're in a world of perfection, right? There's no room for mistakes. There's, you can't miss a number. Um, and that was really hard for us in creating everybody action, actually. And uh, one of our big goals for last year was allowing ourselves to fail, which I know is like a really strange concept, but failing to me is like the worst experience. So like when mm. everything is not perfect, it's like, and in the nonprofit space, especially in the work there, and there, it already is a lot of weight, you know, in your brain, in your mind. Um, so those things can't bring us down because like we already, you know, there's time we have to step away for our own hearts. Cause we do take all of that, you know, you can't take it all home. You got to take a break. So totally. allowing yourself to not be perfect is okay. Yes, absolutely. That's so important. And one thing I want to add just for, uh, like any listeners, cause I know a lot of people ask us like, how can we do this? How can we do this in our way? Like, if you don't want to volunteer with us, that's completely fine. But just to do like be a part of like our mission of like helping someone every day, you know, an easy thing you can do that I always tell people if you don't want to be involved with us, how you can do something is, you know, take your leftovers from that restaurant and give it to the person that you didn't want to make eye contact with that was outside of it on your way in and say hello, introduce yourself, say your name. And, and give them some humanity and a bit of food. And that can be your your action. I love that. That's beautiful. A beautiful thing to end on. Thank you both, Sam and Hillary. <laughs> this has been um, so enjoyable talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Waves of Change podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Waves of Change POD. If you have a question or recommendations for next guests, email us at wavesofchangepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Waves of Change podcast and rate us to help others find us. And if you're feeling extra generous, please share this episode on your social media channels. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.